Hello, and welcome to the One Million Cups Fargo podcast. One Million Cups is a free, nationwide, weekly program created by the Coffin Foundation in 2012 and is designed to educate, engage, and connect entrepreneurs. One Million Cups is organized in 35 states across the country, and the Fargo, North Dakota chapter is one of the most active and largest in the nation. This week, we heard from two entrepreneurs in the growing hemp industry. Our first speaker is Veronica Michael, founder and CEO of Prairie Products. After the passing of the Farm Bill in 2018 and the North Dakota State Hemp Program in 2019, Prairie Products was the first licensed hemp processor in the state. Let's take a listen to Veronica. Thank you. So can you hear me like this? Okay. I'm a big sister, but I'm not that loud, I guess. So I just want to make sure I got this right. Oh, there we go. So I'm Veronica Michael, and I'm the CEO of Prairie Products, and I'm so happy that you are here to talk about hemp today. Uh, hemp is a wonderful opportunity in our region to really expand our uh, agricultural economy, but it's also an opportunity to relieve pain, to think differently about wellness and our bodies. But the first thing that we have to do is we need to think differently about agricultural hemp. So Prairie Products, we are here in Fargo, North Dakota. We have been producing our product since June of this last year. And our, I really am having trouble with this. Uh, Heather, would you be willing to come up here and help me a little bit? So I'm gonna go back. So our mission is to create uh, premium CBD products, raw materials for the market. We are a cold ethanol extractor here in Fargo, North Dakota, and what we're doing is we're taking local, local agricultural hemp and we are using our process to make a CBD or a cannabinoid extraction. Thank you so much. This is Heather. Can you guys give her a round of applause for being dragged up here? Thank you, thank you very much. This 47-year-old's having some technology problems, so. <laughs> okay, let's go forward. So, who are we? So, I am Veronica. I am from Climax, Minnesota, um, which has a rich agricultural tradition. And my business partner is here also, Tom Kading in the back. And he's also a Minnesota boy. We are uh, an executive team. We work with Heather, who's up here on the stage with us, and Joe, who does sales with us. So we're always acquiring our inventory as well as selling our raw product. Our team also includes Mackenzie, our production manager, Vaughn, and Anna, who are her assistants. So why are we here? You know, why did we get started? I think it's really important to recognize that we waited. We waited for this moment to happen. So we put our idea together quite a few years ago, knowing that agricultural hemp would make changes in our society through a change in the U.S. Farm Bill. We realized that that change in the Farm Bill bill would present an awesome opportunity for farmers in our region to grow a different commodity. For many of you, who is from a rural part of our region? Raise your hand right now. Okay, so many of you recognize the changes that have happened in our small towns and what could happen if we could have more options for farmers. So we felt like this was a chance for us to do something great. We waited, waited patiently, and we had our ups and downs. Like any group of entrepreneurs, we needed to raise capital, which was a great high for us. We needed to start working with farmers in the Red River Valley. We needed to get our incredible team together. We needed to really get a chance to show farmers what we could do. Some of our lows, though, were waiting for that hemp to be legalized, waiting for people to understand the difference between agricultural hemp and the form of the plant that many of us think, which is THC. 
We also now have challenges with market saturation, people understanding what is a pure and clean product, and regulation issues with the USDA and FDA, which we look forward to because we were prepared for that. When we started our vision, we knew that regulation would come to this industry, just like the supplement industry. And we knew that our ingredient would be really important if we could find a way to produce a quality extract in a lab that was high quality, FDA registered, and GMP compliant. So we started building our business plan in the August of 2018. And we knew, we thought, the McConnell Farm Bill would pass in the spring of 2019. So we got really fortunate. We had put our business plan together. We recognized the equipment we wanted to buy and were able to start our fundraising. And in December of 18, the Farm Bill passed. It made it possible for us to order our equipment, move into our facility last May, and begin our first production in June. So we have been producing a high quality CBD cannabinoid extract here in Fargo, North Dakota for months. And we're really proud of that. And I think we need a round of applause for that. We um, have decided to make some big changes because we know that there's still some misunderstanding about our product and what we can do. And one of the misunderstandings is THC. It gets in the way. It gets in the way of people really thinking about how to use our product, taking a try of our product, and really giving hemp, agricultural hemp, the opportunity to really work. So, we'll jump ahead one. So what do we do? So we do cold ethanol extraction. We think ethanol extraction is an ideal form of a whole plant extract. We're able to also harness ethanol from right here in North Dakota, which I think is pretty cool. So what we're producing is a CBD accrued product. Now after that, we are able to make a distillate. We decided in our distillate to do something a little bit different, and that was to remediate the THC. Because we thought, hey, if what is holding people back from thinking about this ingredient is worrying about THC in their bodies, let's remove it. And that brought us to really thinking differently about the products that we could put out in our community and jumped us to finding ways to produce a retail product that has no THC in it. So a topical that you can apply to the skin, a tincture, other options, and even a chewable. Now our products and services are this. We want to help North Dakota, Minnesota, Red River Valley farmers take their agricultural hemp into the extracted form. We want to help them bring that to the marketplace. And that's really important for you to understand. How many of you, raise your hand if you've tried an agricultural hemp CBD product in the last six months? Okay, great. Now, what if you could support a local farmer by using a local product? One thing that we need to remember about agriculture and new agricultural commodities is that we want those dollars to stay here. So you can impact farmers by purchasing something right here. So we do toll processing, spit processing, to form our products right there into a crude form or a distillate. I think my time is getting short. So I'm not gonna explain CBD because I wanna give Wes the opportunity to come up here also, but we're gonna be in the back able to explain that a little bit more. But what I do want you to know is that we're here, we uh, have been producing a wonderful extract, we have the opportunity to show you our retail product, and really our goal is to build a strong community and a strong economy around agricultural hemp. But I will stop right there. Awesome.
Our second speaker this week was Wes Sanda, founder of North Star Biotechnologies. They are a team of chemical and genetic engineers dedicated to producing the highest quality hemp strains and products in the industry. They're heavily invested in hemp R&D. So let's take a listen to Wes's presentation. Thank you. Show of hands, I was, my back was to you, I apologize. How many people grew up on a farm? How many people know somebody or have family members here that grew up on a farm? Every hand, right? Yeah, we're North Dakota. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Northwood, North Dakota, not far from here. I don't know how many people know about it. Uh, there's really no reason to know about it unless you're from there. Uh, my dad's a third generation farmer, uh, original family I immigrated over here from Norway. Uh, we had everything, corn, beans, cattle, sunflowers. Uh, there was just nothing that my dad wouldn't try to grow. And because we had cattle, it was a year-round venture. Did not get a day off for anything when I was a kid. Uh, but one of the things we did do on Sunday afternoons, uh, we'd take drives. And I'm, as a little guy, I didn't know it, but those of you who grew up on farm, uh, you go check the crops. And uh, I thought it was cool because we'd stop at the lake store and get some food and maybe a treat, sometimes even ice cream. But we'd drive around, and I could kind of see with my dad that there was a little bit of pride there, you know? He'd planted acres and acres and acres of things, and it was coming up, and as harvest would get closer, uh, he'd see it even more and more excited. And I think about the weight and the, that that was our livelihood. As a kid, I had no idea. But as I look back in life, it, that was a pretty cool place and, uh, for me as a child. But one thing we didn't grow, hemp. <laughs> Uh, had we been in the hemp business back then, the government would have came in and arrested us because we would have been in the marijuana business. Uh, the 18 Farm Bill she mentioned uh, decriminalized hemp, and it gave a chance for everybody to start exploring it. One of the interesting facts I discovered is in Minnesota, actually got approval for a pilot program back in 2014. Uh, a couple farmers started growing hemp, but that was pretty much it. Uh, nobody really looked at that as a viable crop and uh, pilots programs are supposed to develop data they develop very little data i did a little bit more digging and i found out back in the 30s 20s and 30s there's actually seven textile mills in minnesota specific to hemp so you know, do a little bit of research on the history and you find some pretty cool papers and news articles about people that were involved in the industry long before any of us I, ever knew it uh, we now see CBD everywhere. Uh, we got to ask the question, why, where did CBD come from? How did we discover it? Uh, you do a little dig and we find out the University of Minnesota over seven or eight years ago, a guy named Dr. Weiblin started researching. They're trying to distinguish the gene that separates hemp from marijuana. And uh, they stumbled across it, they discovered it, they put a study out there, and the whole world then started saying, oh, I can designate hemp from marijuana, led a little bit to the farm bill that got passed. But to really know the story, um, how many of you guys know the story of Charlotte with Charlotte's Web? A couple of you, a lot of you? Yeah, that's really the story behind CBD, because when, uh, they're from Minnesota, by the way. Uh, they were struggling to find things. When she's a little infant, she had massive seizures. As she got older, they were death-defying seizures. And uh, they finally found about this cannabis program over in Colorado, drove over there, discovered, hey, you don't have to smoke pot to solve problems like seizures. They gave her the medication. First try, folks. Problem went away. For those of you who don't know the story, look it up. It's an amazing, amazing story. It's from somebody right here in our Midwest states. 
Uh, next problem comes up. It's illegal in Minnesota. So what does every parent do that's got a kid that's about to die from these seizures? You pack up and move to Colorado, right? Uh, that's what they did. They went there. They've solved the problem. Um, there's not a lot of press on what's going on with Charlotte today, but her seizures are eliminated, and life was able to go on for her and her family. Um, FDA. I don't know if I even want to touch on the FDA, but... Uh, those of you in the business, that's a frustrating thing. We are looking forward to that regulation, just by, to echo what Veronica said. Um, but, so the next problem, we got farmers that want to add this as a crop rotation. It's legal, you start planting it. Those of you who've been in this field, just talk to someone back there. They had to plow their whole thing in this last fall because of, of problems. There's problems with it going hot over the 0.3 THC. And what do you do? How are you supposed to build an infrastructure when you have all these problems? You have processors that are ripping the farmers off. Uh, you got farmers that no one's there to even help them come up with plans. And so I'm not laying blame to one side or the other, but uh, when you spend tens of thousands of dollars planting a crop, hand harvesting it, milling it, packaging it, deliver it to a trailer, and you end up with nothing, that gets pretty hard to develop an industry. Um, it's worth noting, I think, for everybody, uh, there's actually three different parts of strains of hemp plants. There's three different parts of the hemp plant. Uh, the thing we all think we know about is the CBD. CBD comes from these flowers that are on top of the plant. You extract the oil out of them. You create CBD. There's actually 112 cannabinoids you can pull out of this flower. Uh, CBD is just the most common. Uh, you also have grain varieties. Some of you planted some grain last year. Um, and then there's the other one that's the fiber variety. They're now crossbreeding things so you can have a combination seed, fiber. The fiber gets to be a little bit of a bigger stock, tall, not as many branches. So there's several different avenues people can go if you want to get in the hemp business as a farmer or a grower. Um, each one of them has their own specific products. Most of them are not there. CBD is the one that just took off. Everybody's trying to make money there. But the big play really is fiber and seed. So for the future of the farmers, it will become an agricultural product. Uh, we can touch more on that in Q&A if anybody's interested. Uh, but we, he didn't have to know, and the message here today is we're a long ways around, away from the rest of the world. Canada's got a 30-year head start on us. Europe's got a huge head start on it. China's been doing it for thousands of years. And so in America, we just need help getting things going. Um, some of the products that come out of here, you know, paper. A uh, little side note here on the paper. $10 bill from 1914. Uh, for 200 years, hundreds of years, it was made out of hemp paper. The Declaration of Independence was made out of hemp paper. I got some copies of this $10 bill in the back. Take it home with you, write notes, show it to people. This was a legitimate currency, and this is a picture of a hemp field on the back of this $10 bill. So it's nothing new to this country. It's, uh, it's just what it is. Uh, biofuels, biodiesels, plastics, a lot of you probably know about C2 Renew, textiles, superfuels. Uh, environmentalists, um, you know, this is a huge carbon trap opportunity. Uh, 50,000 products, what people say are out there. So who's North Star Biotechnologies? We're a hemp science company. What the heck is hemp sciences company? Uh, we have scientists. Uh, we got a couple nerdy, nerdy scientists, PhDs. Uh, we tell people we're a bookend company. So one of the things we've decided to focus on is uh, the seed genetics. Uh, they're all over the board. A lot of people are shipping them in from Oregon or Kentucky or wherever else, and they're hoping to grow it here. We have consultants in the state of North Dakota that are trying to teach our farmers how to grow things. 
I think we know how to grow things, right? So just get us the right seed genetics. Things will grow fine. We'll manage it. We'll be good. On the other end of it, uh, we're an industrial-scale refinery. So we talk, she talked about the, the other products that come out of there. You know, crude oil is one of the things Veronica produces. It's a dark. It's clean. It starts out like this, dirty. It's got a lot of waxes and lipids in it. Uh, they clean it up. Ethanol is actually produces cleaner stuff than CO2. This is CO2. When you get to a distillate, as you seen on the screen, it's really clear. It's really thick. It's like honey. And this is what we're going to produce. But we'll have about a 55-gallon barrel drum a day of this that we'll be producing. Um, last thing for me, where do we find all this talent? Uh, I talked about the University of Minnesota. They discovered the gene that separates that. There's a guy named Clem Dabney that was part of their crew at the time. Uh, some of you might have met Clem. Uh, Neat, neat dude. Really, really, really smart. But he went around and started collecting feral hemp from the tree lines and the ditches and everything else and started crossbreeding it with these plants to create stable genetics for everybody. Uh, we hired him. He's in our lab. He's growing CBD, CBC, and CBG right now. The other guy is Clem, or uh, Stefan Egan. Many of you, if you've been doing extraction to the metro, you know e Stefan, another guy that really pioneered this industry. Um, but to close out, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. We are way behind. Uh, wheat developed this entire agricultural community. CHS, Cargill, General Mills, Pillsbury, all those companies are monsters today because of this land. Uh, crystal sugar up the road is a huge, huge success for many farmers because they took advantage of the Red River Valley and the land we have available to us. Uh, the good news is I think hemp's gonna be another one of those opportunities that comes along. We just haven't had it in a long, long, long time. And so if we can get everything in order and just get down this road, I think we'll be fine to create this new industry, uh, take it off, get this program started, get into these other strains. Our mission at North Star, we want to be a catalyst to establish to the region as the epicenter of hemp. And let me say that again. We want to be the epicenter of hemp. North Star wants to be a catalyst. We hope everybody in this room is also a catalyst for that. NDSU, University of Minnesota, we are the ag capital of the world. So let's start owning it, folks. If this anything sounds interesting to you, I want to talk to you more about it. Thank you for having me here. After Wes and Veronica's presentation, we took some time for Q&A with the audience to take a closer look at what they do. This week's Q&A was hosted by Andrew Jason, the Director of Ecosystem Development at Emerging Prairie. Um, well, maybe uh, Veronica, we'll start off with, can you we, uh, introduce your business partner here? Yes, yes. So I got really, really lucky. This is Tom Katie, and uh, Tom is my business partner. Tom is a genius and has a wonderful sense of humor and also the ability to be patient through a lot of tips and turns and new pivots. But I'll let Tom tell a little bit more about himself. Yeah, so I've, I got the opportunity to take the role as the production, kind of setting up production, the COO, and also they asked me to do the financials. So I'm the CFO and COO in the organization. I come from a background uh, engineering and law and a little bit of business, and it's, it's been a very exciting uh, ride with Prairie, and I've had a lot of fun, and it's a great industry to be in. Awesome. Well, welcome to the stage. Um, so I'm going to kick us off with uh, kind of the first question here is that, you know, so this industry really kind of came overnight with the Farm Bill. I guess talk about um, 
two questions. Talk about what this industry can become in North Dakota and Minnesota, and then also what do we need, what do you need to see it succeed, just from an industry perspective? I'll go first. So I, uh, you mentioned something, Wes, that's so important. Hemp can be grown in different varieties. So know that there's an opportunity for our farmers in our region to grow hemp for fiber, to grow hemp for seed, and to grow hemp for CBD. So there are many opportunities in our region for farmers to develop those areas very much in kind of in those kind of cues. Tom, do you want to add anything? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's a need for processors. So farmers can't bring their product to the processor you know, the farmers don't have a lot of options. They might be able to bring it to Colorado or Oregon or another another place, but we have to have processors, and that's really the need we're filling right now. We're, we're as an organization, looking at a lot of ways to get our product out the door. We're looking at retail, and we have a retail product, and hopefully we're gonna have some today, we'll see. But we have a retail product, and we're looking at uh, crude offtakes as well, possibly to North Star. So there's a lot of different ways to build out this infrastructure and we're working very hard to figure those uh, questions out. Hey, one little comment on that. Uh, there are people in the marijuana business, there's China that's looking to put $75 million of infrastructure into the Midwest somewhere. They're looking at it today. And so our fear is that if we don't grow fast enough to be able to fight that off when it comes, they're gonna have a business here, but the operations and all the revenue and everything else is gonna go somewhere else, and all we got is them using our farmland. So to me, it's just really essential that we do get down the road, and the CBD is just one step down the road. Uh, there are all the other cannabinoids, the CBGs will be coming out in the summer, and CBCs coming out this fall for us. Uh, we are gonna have the genetics for all those, so farmers will be able to grow them, and then on industrial sides, uh, when I talk 55-gallon barrel drum a day, I mean, that's a lot. And to get out, that out to the world, and if you want to go international to get the THC out of it like these folks are doing, there's just not equipment that's big enough, so we have to create the equipment while we're doing this and uh, then get people that have the money to actually want to fund this as well. So there's some big obstacles from that perspective that I think we in the Midwest know how to do that. We are industrial ag. Uh, we know how to grow things, so just get out of our way, give us the equipment, let us go. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Oh, we got a question over here. Yeah, this one's for Wes. Say, uh, Wes, you'd mentioned before the meeting we were talking, and you said something about a co-op. You know, a lot of the farmers I've talked to have really struggled when they, whether they had bad product, good product, or whatever, when they, the season ended, they still had this product, and they didn't know where to go with it, how to sell it, you know, how to move it. Can you talk a little bit to that? Sure. Thanks, Paul. I... Co-op is uh, the world we all know. If you're in the Midwest and you're farming, uh, you're li likely some point of a, <laughs> whether retail or whether you're a grower or whether you're part of a processing, Crystal Sugar is a great model, right? Uh, they brought in all their members, they provide the seed, they have the crop management program, and then they buy your product at the end of the year. So all farmers, that's what they want. They want somebody to buy their product at the end of the year, and they want seed that's going to actually produce what they think it's going to produce. And if there's problems along the line, they have a management opportunity to come alongside of them and solve those problems. And so as these different weeds come along that we've got to deal with, or different soils we've got to deal with, we need expertise to do that. This guy, Stefan Egan, I brought up earlier, he knows this world. He's been growing for a lot of years. He was one of the original guys back in 2014. And he knows things that nobody else knows. And we don't have to bring people in from Oregon. I'll say that again. 
We don't have to bring people in from Canada to teach us how to grow things. We have people right here in the Midwest, and we just have to get the seeds, let these guys do the farming they know, they know how to do, and then provide the infrastructure for the downlines because someday uh, Cargill is going to own this world. It ain't going to be me. I think the co-op uh, is such a great comment because it is uh, a, a huge investment to get involved in agricultural hemp, to have the equipment to do so, to buy the seeds, to have the land, and farmers are taking a huge risk. For us, we use a contract process right now called the split contract, and I'll let Tom talk about that a little bit more. So we give farmers an opportunity to take that product to market with us and then get that market price. We are where sugar beets were in the 80s. And I think it's like, turn back your head and think about that. This is a delicate plant that takes a little bit more time in the field, more hands on the plant to do the process at the quality that we want to create that craft product. So in the interim of a co-op, it's really important that you understand there are companies like us here in the Valley and in these two states that you can support because that will help us capture this market share. Yeah, so the, the contract we're offering right now is primarily what's called a split contract. So just for example, a farmer might bring in their product and we process their product and it ends up we take 50% and they take 50%. So what we've seen over the last uh, 12 months really is the market has fluctuated significantly and mostly in the downward direction uh, for this CBD specifically. So what has happened is you know, a lot of farmers came into the year saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get what's $4 a point. And by the end of harvest, the prices were maybe a dollar a point. So it fell significantly. So what, one of the benefits of the split agreement is, you know, it, it takes us out of the speculation game. And then secondly, it allows the farmer to capture the upside. So let's say the market goes back up to $3 a point in six months when possibly we sell. Um, that allows the farmer to get that additional pricing. So another thing with co-ops, so we're, we've been, at, every time we go to an event and we collect data from farmers, we've been saying, hey, are you interested in being part of a co-op? We don't know what it's gonna look like right now. We're still working on developing that, but are you interested in talking more about that? So we're, we definitely wanna see that happen and we're actively working in that direction. Awesome. Okay, a question up here. Don't forget you can tweet hashtag 1MCFAR with your question too. Uh, so right now, CBD is uh, all over the place. There's about 10 different spots in town that are selling it, and you can go anywhere and get different CBD options. Um, I'm more interested in the textile aspect of it. How far away are we from this becoming a major part of the industry, um, the production of the textiles, and actually using this as cordage rope? I'm a camper, you know? I like, so I wanna get some hemp ropes in there. So like, where are we at in that process, or is it mainly focused on the CBD aspect right now? A company to research there, AURI. Uh, those of you around Fergus Falls area probably know who they are, Harold Stanislavski. Uh, go to their website, Google them, AURI, Minnesota. They have a 76-page hemp report. Fibers is one of them. Uh, there's some other guys that have actually started buying equipment. They have the facilities that they're doing decortication, and they're just trying to solve all these problems, and then they want someone else to come along and commercialize it. They're not in the business of being in a business of producing products. They're in the business of solving problems so that all you guys can go sell the products. A phenomenal organization. Uh, they openly share everything they're doing, and uh, they also do some private stuff too for people for specific things. But the fiber side is, I think, is going to become real close. We'll see it in 2020. 
Awesome. Question back there. Is there a nationally quoted uh, price for these three different products in the United States? <laughs> the, the pricing structure is pretty confusing right now. There's a lot of different uh, markets out there. There's not like a uh, Chicago trading board or anything like that that we can go to. We look at sites like Pan Exchange or Hemp, uh, Hemp Market, I forget the name of it, but there's a couple different tracking metrics out there that we use. None of them are perfect though, and they're usually trailing by at least a month. So it's it's very difficult to figure out what the price should be. You know, one of the other factors that go into that too is there's different quality as a product. And like if you look at Pan Exchange and they say the price for a kilogram of crude is $500. You know, it might be $500 for the average crude, but if you have a crude that's a little bit better, it might be more, a little bit worse, it might be worse. So it's it's kind of a moving target, and that's a need within the industry to really figure out, you know, what are those prices, how do you get to them. In terms of uh, fiber and seed, I think the seed market is a little more established and consistent. In terms of fiber, I'm not familiar. Maybe. Most of the fiber stuff comes from China and uh, Europe. There's some. It's there's a, existing supply chains that are very well developed throughout Europe and China and in, into Canada even. Uh, Kentucky's trying to take the lead on it, and they just keep going bankrupt. So that's just another opportunity, I think, for those of us in the Midwest to just step into the lead and do it the way it needs to be done. Excellent. Uh, we got a question back there. So the question is reciprocity between the states as far as moving our product from North Dakota to Minnesota. Uh, trucks got pulled over in South Dakota, drivers arrested for transporting hemp and everything else like that. So where do we sit between Minnesota and North Dakota? Because the other thing is the processors are limited and we may have to take product back and forth across state lines. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm sure these folks can talk a lot more about it. One of the this ugly crude oil right here, um, it could be hot, could be illegal to transport over. You think about this hemp, if somebody left it in the field a little bit too long, it could be over the point three. And uh, according to our government, it's marijuana. You know, you're a controlled substance at that point. Uh, right now, I can't speak for law enforcement, but uh, one of the things we're trying to be really diligent about, I know these folks are as well, is the paperwork. If, if you have a COA that says what you're doing and where you're going, for the most part, law enforcement that we've talked to, uh, they understand that. And they understand there's rules that gotta be created to further define this. But uh, yes, you are definitely putting yourself at risk if you don't have all the documentation to back yourself up. And by the way, the people that are kinda getting caught and they're getting run through the ringer, uh, more than likely, they're marijuana guys pretending to be hemp guys. Just my experience. I think that just like you had mentioned, Wes, I mean, we are really careful about our documentation and so are farmers in our region from being licensed by the states, both North Dakota and Minnesota, to having the, that information when they're transporting. All of us are also testing our product. Farmers are testing and making a huge investment to test in the field multiple times so they can really understand the potency of the product they're growing. After they harvest, they test again for potency, but also what we require is they all test for heavy metals, pesticides, and myotoxins 
essence. For us, this is an ingredient. We want people to feel confident when they consume this that they're getting the best thing. So there is a lot of steps that farmers, processors are taking to follow the law, but we do need improvement in how people understand this ingredient and this product and how we can maybe license and solve problems like transportation. Is that a uh, license that we all receive to transport our product to and fro until it's in that final stage? There's a lot of discussion that needs to happen about that, and I hope that we'll have some changing legislation. Any comments, Tom? Sure, yeah, it's it's one of those gray areas within the, in the industry. So, you know, right now the legal limit is 0.3% THC. So what does that actually mean, though? So Minnesota says, well, 0.3 THC means 0.39 THC. Uh, North Dakota says uh, 0.3 THC means 0.34 THC. So there's all kinds of rounding rules that are very state specific. The USDA has a set of rules as well, and they don't all correlate to each other. They're, it's a little bit confusing. Another complication is, you know, North Dakota Century Code says Delta 9 THC. Is it Delta 9 THC or total THC? And that's kind of a technicality um, when you're doing testing, but it's, a, it's very important when you're figuring out which hemp is legally compliant and which hemp isn't legally compliant. So there's a lot of, a lot of um, specific legal questions that need to be answered. And I think they will be answered over the course of the next year. But some of these questions make it difficult to make sure you're being compliant. We test, we test a lot. We test when it comes in and it has to be compliant. We test when it goes out, it has to be compliant. So we do a lot of testing. We'll do one or two more questions here. One other quick thing, comment on that. Uh, the seed genetics, when I talk about this Clement Dabney, the universities, NDSU here in town, uh, University of Minnesota, Iowa State, uh, you can go out east to some of the universities out there, they're all working on seed genetics. The critical thing to consider is it's got to be specific for that region. So we're region six, I believe. And so the growing season and how long you want to take to get to this size of a flower on top of your plant, is quite different than if you're out in Oregon or Kentucky or North Carolina. And so when you have seed specific that you can't guarantee it won't go over that 0.3, but if you have a growing season and it's designed to kind of cap out, uh, the longer you leave the stuff, the hotter it gets. And it's, it has that one point where essentially it will be uh, nothing, but there's the genetics are so important and we have to rely on our universities to continue to stabilize and do that research for us because unless you're part of a big huge seed company that wants to invest billions of dollars uh, we you and I can't solve those problems so we just have to partner with them guys to continue to push them and it's the reason why we hired Clement because we just know his relationships there and their ongoing study and his connection to the other universities that are doing studies along with the feral hemp programs that are out there uh, is going to be a huge opportunity to minimize any risk that we're going to have transporting things. First, I want to thank you guys for pioneering this market. So that's wonderful. Um, I've heard you mention C2 Renew quite often. And so some of us, you know, we're getting buried in plastics. And North Dakota right now is looking at uh, investing in petrochemical plastic production, which is the opposite of what we want to do because uh, what Chad's working on at C2 Renew, he's for 10 years, he's been uh, repurposing plastic and making it into usable parts. That's being done right now. But uh, so there's an opportunity, I think, and we've worked with Chad. We've had our uh, recycling coordinator go out to 
the, uh, myself and uh, um, the city of Fargo uh, and NDSU and you guys, if we could all work together on small pilot, we've already got the plastic because it, they're, they're forecasting there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish soon. So it is a huge issue, and we don't need to be making more petrochemical plastic. So to me, that's a huge opportunity. So my question to you is, uh, come help us, <laughs> and let's let's make it small, and you know it's scalable. So let's start it now, and we can distribute some projects or products here. But the key with plastic is it costs so much to ship. All these low value materials, you know, shipping them down to Georgia like we've been doing, and then to China. China won't take it anymore. Let's use it here, but. I'd be willing to uh, work with all of you guys to make this happen on a small scale and with that type of a partnership. So I know you're working What's with your Chad. Name? My name's Mike Williams. Michael, yeah, all right, come see me, Michael. One of the, I think I put that in the same bucket as the co-ops. The co-ops can solve those problems. We can collectively go and start collecting all the fibers that are around. And when we create these central processing stations, just like we do every other crop in the Midwest, uh, it's a great opportunity to start collect, having those as collection points to route them into the supply chains because we have to create it. Uh, China already has it created, you know, and America from the petroleum side of it has all these infrastructures already created because they've had 100 years to do it. You know, we really have a couple years here to get going, so that's my push again for the co-op is organize, get together, and then collectively we can solve those problems in a really quick manner. You know, another thing, I love the organize because I think another thing is important as what can you do sitting in the seat here is you can learn more about agricultural hemp, the legalities and what it means for our state. Because we need people like you to understand and make calls, inquiries to politicians, to the USDA, so that researchers in our community can actually garner some dollars to do that research. We have some great people in the room, and I want to uh, point to you, because I think you probably have a comment about that. Um, but NDSU has an amazing ability to do agricultural and post-harvest research. But until the USDA allows researchers, research to be done in that area, we're limited. So it's important that you understand that so we can move plastics, rope, all these other things forward. Awesome. Well, I'm, I know we could all ask a lot of questions. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I think you both will be around, though, if anybody wants to ask questions. So I'm going to end us here. Uh, Veronica, you kind of already beat me to the punch, but our last question is always, what can the community do for you? Yeah, I'll say it again. Uh, cooperatives, come together. Uh, right now, we have a problem with all these verticals. Everybody's trying to run off and do their own thing. Some people are trying to do it from vertically integrated from start to finish. And uh, if we're all fighting over the same turf, uh, as it is, goes industrial scale, everybody's going to lose. And so there's a couple companies that will win at the end of the day. And so if we can do this collectively, like these folks are, they're specializing in certain segments. We're specializing in certain segments purposely because we just know there's other people that are way better at these other areas of this product, and you talk about the seed and the fiber and everything else coming along, there are experts out there here in Minnesota and North Dakota. And so my push to everybody is continue to say those things. Um, if you got a neighbor that's doing something, partner with them. Don't try to compete with them. Because this race down to the bottom on the prices, uh, if you get crude oil, it's down in $250 a kilogram. Uh, nobody can be in business. And then the big guys can come in and industrialize it overnight, and then they're the only ones left in business. And so we need Minnesota companies and North Dakota companies that are doing this, not money from elsewhere. 
Uh, we have plenty of money here, right? Farmers are doing well. Companies are doing well. We have the giants of the industry with Cargill, CHS, uh, right here in the Midwest. And so my push to everybody is, hey, let's collectively do this and even partner with them if we have connections to grow this industry within our region because uh, otherwise we all just get to sit and look through the window and watch somebody else do it. So I have a few things. One thing that you can do is you can support the North Dakota Hemp Association. And by supporting them, you can support farmer education because that's what we need. We need farmers to have access to education in our community that's not a huge fee. Now, we have lots of partners. We even brought a partner here. Barrett's here from Oregon, uh, one of the partners that we work with to learn more about how we can become better extractors. The other thing that you can do is that you can think about how am I buying my product? If this product is all around you, if it's sugar or if it's pasta or if it's CBD. How am I buying my product? How can I better impact the local economy by being a good consumer and buying local? So think about us, think about what we're doing here to produce a really high spec product for you and that is a great way that you can impact the economy. Awesome, well thank you so much Veronica, Wes and Tom. It was great to see you and they'll be around to ask questions, so thank you. That's it for this week's One Million Cups Fargo. Thanks for listening in. One Million Cups Fargo is powered by Emerging Prairie, an organization dedicated to connecting and celebrating the entrepreneurial ecosystem. We'd also like to thank the following sponsors for their support. Midco, the Fargo-Moorhead CVB, the Ephemeria Foundation, the City of Fargo, Pro Resources, and the Kilburn Group. A special thank you to North Dakota State University's The Nice Center for this week's audio. See you next time.